Hey, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem Podcast, where we aim to help you, the big-hearted change maker with a bold vision to build a business that gives you butterflies and a life that makes you want to high-five yourself. How? By addressing the interconnected nature of all that you do. From marketing to mindset and everything in between, we believe your business is more ecosystem than monoculture and that when it comes to creating sustainable success, it's all connected and there is no one-size-fits-all formula. Join us for conversations that embrace nuance, elevate the importance of empathy, and address the diverse and unique strengths that enable entrepreneurs to not just make money, but to make real lasting positive change in a regenerative and revolutionary way. Hello and welcome back to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem. We are so excited today to have Nicola Moores on the pod. Nicola is a badass launch copywriter and I'm so excited to talk to her about some of the numbers she gets because so many of us launch copywriters don't even know how to get our clients to give us numbers. Anyway, so she's a launch strategist and copywriter and creates profitable funnels fueled by data, research, and a ton of advanced conversion strategies. Her data-driven approach to messaging and funnels with her funnel fuel formula has gotten her client results like 68% increase in sales page conversions, a 13% conversion rate on warm and cold traffic for a sales page, and up to an 85.4% open rates on launch emails. And she's also written about funnel optimization for entrepreneur, digital marketer, and medium. So you can find her on there. And yeah, just so glad to have you here today, Nicola. Thank you for being on the pod. Thanks so much for having me. I'm honestly thrilled to be here. And that bio made me sound like a true badass. <laughs> yeah, you just are one, right? Oh God, I think so often, like we don't actually reflect on like who we are and what results that we've gotten for people and what we've done with our lives until we're forced to write a bio. I hate writing bios. So nice work. That's so true, actually. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. Yeah, I think we can get stuck in like how we felt when we were just starting out or even like whatever childhood patterns might like be driving you to work so hard, which is a lot of what we were actually speaking about on our last pod. But yeah, you can just get stuck in those and not not realize until it's reflected back to you how awesome you are. And actually speaking of like reflecting on who you are, uh, hopefully you're cool with this question because we usually start out with trying to get to know a bit about who you are and how you operate. And then of course, being quizzical people, a lot of the way that we do that is like, do you relate or identify with any of the characteristics of like, I don't know, your Enneagram or your Myers-Briggs or your astrology or human design or disc or Colby, or I could keep going on, but if there's something in there that I didn't put in, you're welcome to, to bring it out. Yeah. And, or, and, or have you ever taken those tests? So good question. I have taken the Enneagram, but I always forget what my numbers are. Fair. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other test I, and I took the, I can't think which one it was, the one with all the numbers, with all the letters, like INFP, whatever it is, that one. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm not down with this. The, the thing is, no, I don't bother with those. I don't know what my human design is. And to be honest, it's just not really my thing. Um, I just am who I am. My therapist made me take a few personality tests and they, oh, I, I related with those massively. And then we had to work on all of that. <laughs> So it wasn't necessarily the most positive thing, but it turned into a positive thing in the end. But no, I think with like who I am, I try not to get entangled in all of that stuff because I feel like sometimes it's a bit like a horoscope, you know, you can make it relate to you because you've read it and you want it to relate to you. But having said that, I do always read my horoscope. Okay, so what (laughs) sign are you? Uh, Scorpio. You're Scorpio. Oh, that's exciting. I know this is going to sound super cliche. In my head, I was like, Scorpio. (laughs) Were you? So, okay. So I do relate to the Scorpio traits. Yeah, that is me to a fault. Yeah. (laughs) So what are they? Okay. Loyal. Uh, very strong-minded um sometimes mysterious so although that for me because I always have my feelings written on my face but sometimes I like to hold things back like vulnerability and things like that I'm getting better with that but yeah yes definitely Scorpio I love it a lot of the Scorpios I know are like the witchiest women that I know as well and the most like able to like magnetize to them what they want and um I know life isn't always like that but kind of watching your career in the last couple years I don't know how pagan you feel or what how you feel about woo stuff but I would not be surprised if part of those Scorpio vibes are you know helping you pull in the right lessons at the right time if not the right clients at the right time Oh, I love that reframe, that outlook. Don, that's super powerful. Oh, good. Thank you. Um, yeah. yeah. Scorpio energy is fiercely honest and, and so magnetizing. Mm-hmm. Um, I am known as the honest ones in my friends. So if you don't, if you want like the fake answer to a question, don't ask me. <laughs> right. And that, that's so Scorpio to a T. But I'm, I'm with you. Like, we don't need to put too much credence into any of it because we're all expressing human traits mm-hmm. in a myriad of ways. Exactly. So, I think so intermingled as well. So, yeah. Okay. What about, okay. How about now this, what about like decision-making types or buyer types? Do you identify with any of those? <laughs> Okay, so decision-making buyer type. I am the person, and I hate to say this, but I am the person that will read every single word of a sales page at least 10 times. That is, so when I'm teaching copy, I always have to caveat because most people don't read every word. And so you have to cater for those, but then you also have to cater people who need that information. And that's why long form sales pages still work as you guys know. Um, so yeah, that is me. I like to know all the details when I'm buying, I make very, very, very thorough decisions. Mm-hmm. And I'm somebody who like, Dawn, you mentioned if I'm, if I'm like where I wouldn't categorize myself as where I'd say I'm open-minded, but I'm very much in touch with like my intuition. And so I always gut check things whenever I make a purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought some AirPods recently and that decision took me months and I'm not even joking months. what did you buy I'll just I'm the type of person who like would really take uh, social proof from people I really trust I'll just go buy what you bought after you spent months (laughs) deciding 
Say so I got the third generation ones, but my two best friends, one had the third generation and one had the second generation, and they were giving me different feedback of what was so good about them. So I ended up last week going to the Apple store and being like, okay, can I try them on? And then I I bought them. <laughs> I was sucked in. <laughs> yeah, you had, but you've been considering it for so long, right? Literally months, yeah. And I read reviews. Oh, yeah, I did everything because I have perfectly good normal headphones, right? Like the wired ones, but they're yeah. really annoying. So I'm thinking if it isn't broke, don't fix it. But I really want them. <laughs> yeah, convenience, man. I recently moved into a home and it's furnished, and there's like televisions that can work as like speakers but they're like google tvs like you have to download chromecast to be on it and like i i know google knows everything about me but like and i did it but like hitting those permissions like oh my god i'm giving them even more permission it made me so uncomfortable and then i found i was like i was driving home from somewhere and i was like I was like, oh i wish i could like dictate this and and send it to someone i'm working with or whatever and then i was like like, how come the apps can't just take it from my brain yet? And it was such a slippery slope from like barely being comfortable giving Google like the ability to see where I was so I could link up with the television in my homes to being like, F it, just like pull it from my brain, put it on the page. I'm going to go swimming. <laughs> like, Yeah. Anyway. So this is really interesting. I, re- I read some stats yesterday and I'm probably going to fudge them a bit but it was something along the lines of 45% 45% of people do not want their data to be used to market to them right and then at the same time 75% of people want a more personalized <laughs> and specific product recommendation targeting experience and so we've got this like clash that I'm sure it's like a portion of the same people saying, I don't want that actually on some level want more precise marketing and, and recommendations. So it's funny. Yes. I, I actually read the other day on the back of that, that, okay, I can't remember the stat, but it was a big number. That's all you need to know. But like a huge percentage of Amazon sales are from them recommending another product to people. So it, okay. that personalization works, but I think maybe it's when people know it's happening, they get confused and freaked out by it, mm-hmm. but they watch it still. <laughs> it's like this weird dichotomy. Yeah. Like if you could be non-judgmental with my data, then I will be fine with you using it. Or like if it's like a an unintelligent, not conscious AI, I might be more comfortable with that than if it was like a person deciding that. But I'm I'm not sure if that's true. This kind of makes me think about segmentation. And I'm wondering if you use segmentation when you're writing launches for people, like in regards to like emails and that sort of stuff all the time and do you know what I think half my clients it drives them crazy because they're thinking why the heck do I need to do this much segmentation and then the other half of my clients get it and love it and like the segmentation doesn't need to be completely new emails often it's the same email with like a paragraph changed um, and you know using conditional messaging on active campaign for example but Yes, I love, 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 love segmentation. Okay, this is amazing because I know a lot of people are super confused about it. You know, Shandi and I work in quizzes and um, it actually came up as a question like in a strategy call. So many strategy calls recently was like, 
how do I, what do I want to segment on and how do I segment and what kind of questions? Cause you know, with a quiz with the right platform, um, interact, um, you can segment based on how people are answering questions. Right. And like so many entrepreneurs are like, I don't know how to do this. So do you have any advice on segmentation for our listeners? Sure. So I would start small and really, I would just keep it as like, you know, low hanging fruit as possible and just really think, okay, how can I differentiate people in my funnel or buyers? Is it based on their buying decisions? Like maybe they bought different products that have a different, slightly different topic. Can I segment them that way? Is it when they bought? Is it where they are? And obviously like things like demographic, it won't be applicable for most businesses, but some people it will. Could you segment when, if they bought in the last year, last six months? So really just start small. Um, I tend to segment based on behavior, especially during launches. So I like to add in extra emails for people who have clicked onto the sales page. Um, and I know that feels creepy, but <laughs> I guess it's a little bit going back to what we're just talking about, but heck, it works. Okay, so yeah, I would just start small and really probably segment based on opt-ins they've come into, what they downloaded and what they clicked on and what they bought. Mm, I love it. Yeah. You're mostly working with like digital course creators and coaches right now. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. My, oh. my, it's my favorite. I love it so much. I feel like I breathe digital products. <laughs> yeah. We're with you. I'm curious if you've seen any shifts in that world with what's happening in the world and like, all this recession talk and economy being weird and people not being online so much. Like I've, I'm hearing mixed things from clients and students that for some there's this dramatic impact on a negative level. And then for others, it's they're like, Oh, same, same over here. So I'm curious what you're seeing. Yeah, I'm seeing the same mixed bag. It's interesting Like a few of my clients are still having really big launches and they launch really regularly as well, but they have the number of people in their funnel, people in their email list to sort of sustain that. I think a lot of people as business owners are moving over to selling more digital products because client work is, you know, it's more expensive and it's a lot harder to get at the moment because of the recession. So I've seen it that shift from the other side. Um, but my clients are still seeing really good launches and I'm not saying that's based on me at all. I think it's because they have like so many subscribers and the things that they're teaching are so needed now more than ever. For example, one of my clients is a therapist. So she teaches therapists and also helps people who aren't therapists with attachment theory and attachment styles, which I could talk about forever. I'm obsessed. Mm -hmm. Um, So things like that, people are in more need of that now than ever because people are struggling, right? So I think it really depends on the topic. For example, e-commerce, that's definitely gone down for sure. Although I'm still buying really expensive skincare. (laughs) I'm not the best model here. But yeah, it's a real mixed bag for sure. And I think a lot of people are scared. And I think because of that, a lot of people aren't wanting to put loads of money into launches or hiring launch copywriters. I'm, I'm seeing that shift as well, especially, you know, I'm in the launch space. I'm seeing that in my industry. Mm. Is there anything that you're noticing with your clients and other launches that you're creeping on is like different than it was, say, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic when everyone went online and everything was selling like crazy? Like, are there any tactics or angles or positioning 
I just want to say positions um, that you're noticing might be working better or that you're seeing, even if you don't know if they're working? This is an interesting question. So at the start of the pandemic, I had actually only just gone full time as a copywriter and quit my day job. Hmm. So I wasn't actually working on launch copy then. I don't even know when I started. I think it was the end of 2020, start of 2021. But in terms of shifts recently, no, I haven't seen too much really. I think oh God, there was at one point everyone was going way too hard and like coronavirus and the pandemic and challenging times. And I was thinking if I see that phrase time, I'm going to drop kick my computer <laughs> into a lake. Like I swear to God. So oh, I'm certain. <laughs> it was annoying. So I think it was trying like, okay, we're not talking about this anymore because we're not in it anymore. Let's try and move past it. Um, but other than that, I mean, I wasn't really in the launch space at the start of the pandemic. So that's a tricky question for me to answer really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Shanti? I have like intuitions, but what about you? I am seeing more of a trend toward low priced paid offers that sort of serve the same function as like free webinars, free challenges used to. Mm. So that there's more of a commitment on the consumer end and on the business owner side it's like okay we know this person is legit interested and so like you know how we've got our launch lists for people who've engaged with materials relevant to whatever the offer is and then kind of the the main big list that launch list of people who actually like paid $37 for the challenge or the the training is seems to be more qualified mm. than just continuing to go with like the here's the free webinar and you know how that yeah so yeah actually that's a good point that has been happening so much more and I think people are using it to offset initial ad costs as well at the, the front end of the funnel it's funny yeah. I don't think you've listened to Claire Pelletro's podcast she did an experiment where she did two launches one of them was like a paid was it a challenge I can't remember it might it was a paid master oh I think it's a paid master class and then she did one paid and one not paid and she found that the conversions were higher on the oh wait I can't remember which way around it was but basically what she learned was that the money overall was about the same it was really Hmm. interesting so even though she earned more up front um the other launch and got more people inside it so even though the conversions were less it still brought more money in I'm not explaining that very well but that was the gist Yeah. Yeah. That makes some sense. I'm like, I just had a strategy call yesterday, like with a new client and I'm like, Hmm, okay. So Shanti, if the cost of the, um, product is around three K, what do you think the buy-in for the masterclass might be not selfishly at all? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I don't know that it's so much like, well, if it's three K then it should be a hundred dollars. Like, yeah. To me, the psychology behind paying paying for something and like the micro conversion of that, even if it's just a thirty dollar thing, yeah, is enough to show a high level of interest. 
totally. And potentially more commitment to solving whatever the problem is. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think it depends. I think it depends on what that what that offer is. Hmm. Yeah, yes. The quintessential right. marketing answer. It depends. It just depends. <laughs> Everything depends. Figure it out. <laughs> and if you have that $37 masterclass, whatever, you have a ton of value in there, then when they get that $3,000 product or whatever it is, I think, well, if there's so much value here, what am I going to get if I pay this? So again, it's about the psychology and I guess the value and how well the offer is actually delivered. Mm. So it depends. <laughs> yeah. But then yeah. if you get a thousand people into the free webinar and you get 25 people, I mean, that's crazy numbers, but into the paid one, I can see why I forget uh, the, the gal you named, but I can see why it might've ended up being really similar um, mm-hmm. is like maybe your conversion rates are lower, but your sales could be similar. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of conversion rates, how the heck do you get your digital course creator clients to give you what their rates were ahead of time? I find lots of people don't even know how to find that or like don't have their analytics set up in any way so that they'd be able to. And like, what do you ask for from them in order to be able to like create a badass bio like you? So basically I turn it into a benefit for them, like on the sales call, I, let me, let me backtrack. I start every single pro- project um, looking at clients launch numbers nine times out of my, out of 10, my clients have launched before. Right. So if I go into a launch and I don't get those numbers, how do I know what's working and what isn't working in that launch? So I'm just going to come in blind, do some research, throw up some copy. Obviously there's a bigger process to that. I've, I've, downgraded myself there but if I don't get those numbers and I'm doing my client and myself a disservice so I make it to a benefit for them like we're going to find out your numbers and then once we know those we can see the low-hanging fruit in the funnel or know what definitely needs to change because sometimes my clients come to me and they're like okay Nick my launch didn't go as planned um please can you rewrite the sales page and their sales page already converting at five percent and I've gone in and said okay this doesn't actually need to be rewritten really there's probably other ways that we can get your overall revenue up um you know a better lead strategy for example so again like it's all about and I actually tell them that story as well because it's all about that um because nine times out of ten my clients don't even look at their numbers because numbers are scary right so usually what I ask for is just their logins I use last pass night just send me your logins I'll go into the back end I'll get the numbers myself and I have like a spreadsheet where I put them all up so often like the other day I was in click funnels I've tried to go into entreport, but I do not understand it. <laughs> and if they have a team, usually they'll get it for me. Uh, but I always make the offer to get it myself. But nine times out of 10, my, my clients do have a team anyway, and they tend to get me the numbers. Um, and sometimes there's a bit of back and forth, like, okay, I actually need these and not these and blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, that's really what it is. And I think, I don't think most copywriters do that, which astounds me, to be honest, because it just seems like, it just seems like the obvious thing to do, because otherwise, how do you know what's working but yeah Mm, I love that so someone comes to you with a $15,000 rewrite my sales page and you go and look at it and then you say nah you don't need that like that sounds crazy too right and I think for lots of freelancers we don't want to see those numbers either because we want to like I'm like I'm a sales page writer I want I want to do it so what do you do in that case when you when you find that how do you convince them to work with you in a different way instead well, I think because I'm being honest, like I'm turning down a huge chunk of money because I do, I actually do funnel optimization projects and they cost 
half the price of my sales pages. So I'm actually losing money by being honest. Again, I'm a Scorpio. I'm not going to lie to people. My accountant hates me for it, but you know, I'm not going to waste my time in theirs. Plus if they're, they've already got like a 5% conversion rate, which is pretty good, really. I don't want to walk in all cocky being like, yeah, I can up your conversion rate. And then it all goes to shit, you know, like my reputation is on the line here as well. I want to make sure I'm doing a good job for my clients. And if I don't think I can help them, then I want to be honest. So with this client, what we did is we did like a funnel optimization project. And then I saw that the lead strategy was not there. So they weren't getting enough people. It's the it's always usually like nine times out of 10, that is the answer. But they weren't getting enough people into the funnel. And so when they didn't hit their revenue, they freaked out, right? Because they still had the same amount of people in their subscriber list. So they were thinking, surely I should get the same revenue as before, if not higher, and like it depends, <laughs> the classic answer. So yeah, that, that's really how I how I convince them. And I think it helps them because they're saving money anyway. So they're already sold because like, okay, well, I don't need that. So why waste like time on a big project? Okay, so I don't mean to sound like your business coach here, but why are you charging less for a funnel optimization than a sales page? Do you know that's funny you asked that because the other day I was having this exact same thought process with myself. I was thinking, you know, I'm really fucking good at what I do. Why am I doing that to myself? Yeah. <laughs> I actually had the same yeah. conversation. Yeah. The irony. <laughs> you know, I think it's a confidence thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I feel like it's definitely a confidence thing. I think with like copy, I know what I'm doing. Like full optimization, I do as well. But yeah, I think it's a massive confidence thing. And sometimes I think what it is as well is you need to, in a way, I guess, convince clients more that that's actually what they need because so many people just blame the copy straight away. Like their, their launch doesn't go as planned and then they think, oh, it's the copy because launches are emotional things, right? And you put so much time and energy. And so when it doesn't go how you wanted it to, a lot of people, again, depends on like, you know, your personality, et cetera, have like a knee-jerk emotional reaction and just want something to blame. And so when I'm like, oh, actually it's not the copy, but if we did this, they're thinking, well, I just want to, how can you guarantee me that I'm going to see an ROI on this? So it takes some sort of convincing, but usually when they see they're saving money, Mm -hmm. it helps. Mm. Is it less work for you? Again, a good, you're so insightful. So I would say it's a definitely a shorter project and yeah, it is less work. It is less work to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. Still though, to me, probably like being told I don't need to have it all rewritten and these are the things I can tweak would probably be worth a similar amount. Anyway, I'm not telling you what to do. I was just curious about what that looks like. Um, Please tell me what to do. Charge more. There you go. I was just just telling my husband yesterday because we were doing our like financials for the month and we were talking about like, all right, we actually need to sit down and like make a budget. And he was like, oh, oh, you're going to see like all the dumb shit I spend money on. And I was like, babe, I've spent like tens of thousands of dollars on coaching in the last year. And you know what? The advice that has that has panned out and made the biggest difference and actually made those investments make sense is literally two different coaches charge more, double your prices. Let's sweet. So there you go. I just gave you sixty thousand dollars worth of business <laughs> coaching. Everyone listening, there you go. Thanks, Shanti. I love that. <laughs> 
Shanti's my coach. <laughs> just let her, her let her pay the high ticket the coaches, and then she can just be like, "Yeah, you should probably charge more." Um, yeah, <laughs> it is, charging more is so strange too, isn't it? Because it's like you said, it is like it's a confidence fuck thing. You're like, can I actually charge more? I charge not enough for this project I'm about to start, mostly because I like pay too much to subcontractors. Um, so I'm like, oh shit, if I take on any more <laughs> projects, I have to charge more because I want to pay people this well. Right. And it is also a funnel optimization project. So that again, <laughs> just one of those, uh, selfish podcasts for, for Dawn, uh, again, but I think like what I thought about, I was like, wow, like if, if this person sells one of the high ticket version of this course, then, or if they sell two of them, they've already more than made back what I cost. And it's, I can tell, even though the copy is pretty good, I know there are persuasive elements that I can just like interject in and they will sell more than two more than they would have. Right. So I think it's, uh, copywriters are so funny because when I tell people like kind of the type of, um, like the, the volume of sales, not the volume, but the amount of sales I'm making, like on a monthly basis, people are like, how could anyone ever pay you that much? But then if I think about like the assets that I'm creating, um, that keep on getting used over and over again and are making people so much money, I'm like, well, maybe they should be paying me more actually. Right. So yeah yeah Yeah. and Nicola is good at math and she has like this really cool free calculator conversion rate thing that we're going to share but I I one thing I did learn from my sales coach was that if you can be like half decent at math and if say you're working on something like a funnel optimization project or for us like a quiz where we can say like okay, what is a lead worth to you? And if you know that number, um, okay, well then what would it mean if you had a thousand new leads every month? And what, what would that look like numbers wise and value wise within your business or funnel optimization? Like, okay, well, what if we could even conservatively increase your conversions by like 0.5%? And that, if you are talking to someone with big numbers and a large audience, it makes a massive difference. So then you're anchoring this like large number and like huge amount of value and saying, well, I can help you for X. Mm. Yeah, I have a calculator on my website that actually does that. You put your launch um, stats in and then it works out the conversion rate. And then if you... It says, okay, if you increase your conversion rate by 1%, here's the revenue. So I was like, because you had to, I don't even know how I made it. It was like a calculator online, but you had to put the numbers in. And when that worked, oh my God, I was so happy. (laughs) It like made my day. I was like, and I was telling my friends who aren't entrepreneurs and aren't in the online business. And they were like, who fucking cares? (laughs) What is wrong with you? I'm like, no, it's working. Like put a number in and like, I don't know what this means. What's the conversion rate? And then I was like, oh, this is sad. Well, yeah, that calculator made me think like you need a lead magnet. That's like, how do I find out my launch numbers? Like, what can I do to figure out my launch numbers? Because you're like, oh, I just asked them for their logins and last pass. And then I uh, just go in and find those numbers. And I'm like, oh, could I do it? Like, how would I do that? And you're like, I don't know how to use Entreport. I'm like, 
I don't think I could find that in Kajabi. So like, did you know what I mean? Like, it, like uh-huh. that sounds like a lead magnet that would go really well with the calculator. Like you have the calculator there and then right underneath, you're like, not sure what your launch numbers are here. <laughs> Download this and it'll walk you through or something. Oh my God. You are coming up with all the ideas. I feel like I should be paying you for this. <laughs> Hey, watch out because I'm I'm charging higher prices. <laughs> Please don't invoice me. <laughs> no, no, I won't. Uh, funny. Yeah. Okay, so I'm curious about some of these conversion rate numbers and like from your perspective, Nicola, like because we get this question all the time. I think I can speak for Don too. Like people are like, what's a good conversion rate on a landing page to a cold audience? What's a good conversion rate on a sales page to a warm audience. And uh, my answer is often, it depends, but I'm curious if you've seen, because I think you see a lot more of these stats than we do. Like what, what are the ballparks? Love this question. It usually does depend, but I can answer this specifically for sales pages. So I would say the typical ballpark is one to 3% for a sales page. And that, that isn't a given. That's if you've got the right offer for the right audience. And because you need to have those two things in place for the sales page to even convert. If you have a crap offer that isn't right for the audience, even the best copy of the best sales page isn't going to sell that. It doesn't matter what price you're charging. Um, so you need to have those two things in place. But yet one to three percent, you know, sales pages I've been working on, just to toot my own horn here, like they've been converting at seven to eight percent. I have a sales page um, for a digital product and that last year was converting at 13% on a warm and cold audience. But I think that's because I sort of, it was different to like the competitor's product. So it was almost that's why the conversion rate was so high. I sort of feel like a different need there. But yeah, it really does depend. But I would say with the sales page, try and aim for 1% and then you can just work your way up from there. I think as long as you know you have that product market fit, then you can get the intel from your audience, survey them after launches and just keep tweaking, keep improving the offer. Because sometimes you don't even need to change the sales page too much. If you have, if you can improve the offer and then obviously reflect that on the sales page because you'd need to, you know, be honest on the sales page, that's enough to increase the conversion rate. So it really does depend on like what the offer is and the audience. Um, but yeah, I'd say one to 3% is about right for a sales page. Okay. So what are you doing to get that extra 7% in there? So one of my clients showed, she actually came to me, her sales page was converting at five point something percent. And she said, I want a different voice in this page. And I was initially hesitant because it's already converting really, really well. And I didn't want to promise that I could make the conversion rate increase, but she was launching a new tier of the offer. So she needed a sales page for that and then something to a new voice because she didn't feel like it reflected her. And I think that's a huge part of my business is making sure that your copy and marketing reflects who you are. So... What I did was I did a fraction of research into the audience and I noticed that, you know, when you're researching people and like talking to them and you're getting like an underlying sense of what they're saying, but they're not actually saying it. So this audience was basically, they were too exhausted, too much in pain to work out. And so I'm chatting to these women who had worked out for years and years and for a big part of their lives. And then they suddenly couldn't do it anymore. And I was like, oh, did you feel like you've lost a part of who you were because you identify as a gym bunny and now you can't do that? And they're like, oh my God, yes, that's it. So we put that onto the sales page. 
we tweaked the voice to make it much stronger. She wanted it to be much stronger. She wanted it to be more like badass, like taking no shit. Um, we actually tested out the voice with user testing, realized the voice was too strong. So dialed it back a bit. And then the conversions went up to uh, 7.4, I think it was percent. So yeah, literally it's just making sure that you always do that digging in. And I think just picking up that underlying theme, I think that was a huge part of why the conversions went up because it really attracted a specific type of person that she really wanted. She didn't want people who played the victim or would give up really easily. She wanted people who were like determined and ready to make a change. And so that voice was reflective of her, but also spoke to like a slightly different audience. And I think that's why the the conversions went up. But again, a lot of it is just looking at the funnel and seeing what works. And a lot of the time, I don't really pay too much attention to benchmarks with my clients. I'm looking at, okay, how do your emails normally perform for yourself? How do your sales page normally perform? Like what's normal for you? Because sometimes benchmarks and like average conversion rates, like they're you take it with a pinch of salt, like every offer, every audience, every business is completely different. So I think just have your only competition be yourself and focus on like what your rates are and see how you, how you can get those up. Because when other people in the launch space or in the business world have launch strategies, what worked for them might not work for you. But often we see them and think, oh, this is going to make me loads of money and copy them. And then the launch doesn't work. And so, yeah, see what works for you. Mm. Okay. Now you mentioned before we hit record that people shouldn't necessarily hire a copywriter Mm. right off the bat. And like, okay, we're talking about writing sales pages that convert at potentially 7%. Like how do you do that without the help of a professional? And when would you bring in a copywriter? And what is that What's your opinion on that? Okay, so there's a few caveats to this. So I just want to be brutal. Like again, like as as I said before, most copywriters or a lot of copywriters do not look at the numbers before they write the launch copy. So when it comes to writing the launch copy, they're just guessing on on what works based on templates they know what they've done before but if you don't know those numbers then how are you going to know and it's exactly the same principle for the business owner if you've done a launch um, and let's say it didn't go as you wanted and you're like okay it must be the copy well if you don't look at the numbers and like know the conversions how can you actually say it's the copy without knowing those numbers so I'm not saying like never 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 hire a copywriter I'm just saying hire one if it's an informed decision based on what the data is telling you and if the data is saying it's the copy hire a copywriter um I think this is why I'm so passionate about teaching people about doing launch debriefs and empowering them to know their numbers because you don't actually need to spend thousands of dollars on a copywriter sometimes you just need to make a few tweaks um to bring in that more revenue like with Dom when you were saying with your funnel optimization like the funnel's working, but you can see there's a few things that you would add in to up that revenue. And it almost goes back to Claire Peltro's, um, it goes back to that experiment where she had a lower conversion rate, but because she had more people in the funnel, it actually brought in the same amount of revenue as when she had a higher conversion rate, but less people in the funnel. Sometimes you just need to get more people in the funnel to bring that revenue up. You don't need to increase the conversion rate. Now, in terms of when I would hire a copywriter, if you've launched before and the copy isn't converting, and again, you've got to have that audience offer fit. So if you know that offer is selling to that audience and you sold it before and it usually sells well, 
and copy is the only thing you've changed, then I would bring in a copywriter to look at that. But I would make sure that they're going to look at your numbers. I would make sure they do like full research so they know the audience. They're not just going to use what you've given them. And because again, it might not always be the copy. Sometimes it is the offer and that needs tweaking. If you need to refresh your research into your audience, let's say you don't know them as well as well enough as you do, then I would hire a copywriter. If you haven't launched before, the key to writing good copy is knowing your audience. That's the basis of every single thing we do in marketing. It's just know your audience. Like it doesn't matter what launch mechanism you go with. If the offer is right for your audience, they're going to buy it. So know your audience, do your research, really dig into what the audience is struggling with, like what they want, their motivations, reflect that on the sales page. And again, as long as the offer is right. So yeah, that's why I don't think you always need to hire a copywriter. Like good ones are expensive. So sometimes you can just save yourself a bit of money and make some tweaks to the funnel yourself. Like if you can see that, you know, open rates aren't as high as you want to be, change the subject line. If people aren't going to the sales page, okay, well, how can we get more leads into the funnel? How can we get more people to open the sales page? Like, can we put a link into, I don't know, Instagram? Could we send Facebook ads directly to the sales page if it's a low price offer? Do we need more links in the emails, for example? So a lot of like launch optimization is hypothesis. Like nothing's really set in stone. And I know that sometimes it, it can be confusing. And that's why if you need the help, then, you know, please hire someone to help you. But I mean, I've definitely seen with the way that the economy is right now, like people being scared to sort of front that money because they, they're not sure they're going to get the ROI. Yeah, that's great advice. I feel the same way. And often people come to us copywriters and be like, I want to hire you. I've never launched this before. I don't really know my voice. I don't know my audience that well, but I hate writing. Can I just give you money and you can do this for me? And it's like, no, not really. Sorry. You got to figure it out. And it's hard. It is. And it requires this willingness to be wrong. And I think people are really uncomfortable with that. Mm, I love that. A willingness to be wrong. Yeah, that's so true. Right? We all just want to get it right, right out the gate. And if we can't get it right, then let's just hire someone who can. And that's just not always the solution. Mm. But I think people see people in the industry having huge launches. And what they're forgetting is that those people have launched dozens of times. They've launched the same offer for years, two, three times a year. And every single time they're tweaking that launch, they're not reusing everything. They're making slight changes that you probably won't even notice on the front end. So, and again, they had a willingness to get it wrong. They're like, let's give it a go. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We'll know for next time. So treat every launch as an experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's scary because sometimes there can be a huge amount of reward, like a revenue at the end. But if you don't try it, you don't know what's going to work. And again, what works for you won't work for somebody else and vice versa. So treat it. And I always say nothing's a mistake. Everything's a lesson. Mm. 100% in life, right? Mm, so can, sure. we, can we speak a bit about one of the lessons that you went through in the last year uh, before we sign okay. off today? Cool. Okay. So Nicole and I were in a mastermind together. And um, so I know more about her than I should in some ways. And um, I know that one thing that happened was like, you started killing it as a copywriter, right? And got 
crazy busy and then just didn't spend time marketing yourself because who has time to market yourself when that happened? And then kind of like when we were chatting last, um, I don't know, this is probably somewhere four or five months ago. Um, you were pretty much just working on your own business because you didn't have any clients anymore. Right. So I'm wondering like if, and how that came to a resolution and especially not to say it, but in these trying times, what advice you could give to not just copywriters, but fellow freelancers on how to not let the pipeline dry up while you're like busy working your butt off. Okay. I'm so glad you're asking me about this because I think this is something that we don't talk about enough. So to skip back. So end of, I think September last year, I had a couple of clients, the projects ended. And from there, the pipeline was dry. And I mean, dry. I think I had like a few people, but they weren't a fit and then nothing. So it went on for about four months. So until January and I was like, fuck, because what had happened was I only went full time in my business, um, February, 2020. And I had just coasted on referrals. It was a sweet time, let me tell you. And I was getting these referrals. So I wasn't marketing myself. I didn't have the time. Well, story I'm telling myself, I don't have the time to market myself. Right. So then when the referrals dried up at the end of last year, nothing was coming in. I'm thinking, uh oh, <laughs> well, and I could, so I could instantly see, and I think I stayed calm because I could see that I wasn't the problem. You know, it wasn't my work because nine times out of 10, my clients come back to me. So I knew it wasn't my work. I get results. Um, I actually probably wasn't charging enough. So it wasn't that I was too expensive. I could see that the problem was I hadn't bothered to market myself. So I worked with our coach. She kept me calm and she was like, okay, you need to get a plan. And she said to me, if a client came to you with this lead gen problem, how would you solve it? Huh. So I being the time, I know I was like, it's such a, it's so simple, but genius. So being the type A that I had, I had like, I think it was like a three page Google doc of like just everything that I would do. So I started marketing on Instagram. I started posting on there, showing up on stories, even though I hated it. And I felt like a dickhead every single time that I did it. I just did it anyway. I did the six and six, which Joe Weeb talks about with 10X Freelancer. So it's posting six pieces of content in six weeks. And I actually did it and it nearly killed me. It was, it was a ton of work. Mm. Um, what else did I do? Reached out to my network. So I just kept asking people that I knew for referrals. I was posting in our mastermind, like other Slack groups that I was in saying, you know, I'm available. Please hire me. I'll let people know they can hire me. But nothing was working. And it got to a point in the end of January. Luckily, I'd saved up a ton of cash in case this happened. So I was fine. And that's why I sort of use the time wisely to create this lead gen, work on the back end of my business and get loads of stuff sorted that you never have time to do. So I use the time wisely. I didn't just coast around. And then in January, um, another copywriter who's in the launch space said, Nick, I don't have space for this client. Can I pass one to you? So I got that client. Then nothing for a few months. So again, I was like, oh my gosh. Um, and then I got another referral again. So the lesson here was mm -hmm. that I just need to stay in my lane and realize that if I have a strategy that's working for me or a way of bringing in clients that's working for me, which is referrals, instead of stressing about, okay, I need to bring in inbound leads elsewhere. Why not just work on that? Why not just nurture my relationships and make more of these connections, which quite clearly I'm good at because people are so willing to pass people on to me. And then this second referral that I got, we're now working like on multiple projects. So Things are looking up and I've realized that it's just about doing small things every single day to sort of keep 
yourself top of mind, whether that's marketing yourself on Instagram, nurturing connections, uh, you know, marketing to an email list, just doing small things. And I think doing what works for you as well. I think I got stuck in the idea of seeing other launch copywriters posting on Instagram and getting leads that way and thinking, well, why isn't that working for me? And then, cause when I tried it, so I spent, I think it was three months and I marketed myself on Instagram. I posted all the time and it got to the point where I was spending like half an hour making sure my grid looked correct because I'm so type A. And I just thought, what the hell am I doing? Like, this is such a waste of time. I literally don't care about posting on Instagram. I honestly do not care. So why am I doing this? Just because other people are doing it in my space and it works for them. It's clearly not working for me. I just need to accept that and do what works for me and not follow everybody else. So yeah, it was, it was a bit of a stressful time. And I think at the time I could see other people in the space having loads of clients and being booked out. But my coach just kept saying to me, she was like, look she's like keep looking at your results you know what you're doing like it this just means you just need to keep going and something will come for you eventually it's just about just keep getting your name out there and making sure that people know who you are for launch copy because another thing that happened so last year um I became known for like brand voice I did a tutorial Tuesday with copy hackers on brand voice I had I launched a digital product which was super successful on brand voice so I was getting a ton of leads last summer for brand voice projects. Now I actually don't do brand voice projects anymore. Um, I just, not for me. I love coaching about brand voice, but doing actual projects, I would rather pass them off. So a, a ton of like the referrals and people that were finding me were for brand voice. And so I had to almost like go back and like get people known or people knowing me for launch copy because this whole time I've been doing launch copy. I just never spoke about it. I only spoke about brand voice. Mm. It was very ironic <laughs> uh, yes that's this whole story there you go lots of lessons yeah there's so many things I love in that one of them being like stay in your own lane and do what's working and we were in our last episode too we were talking about like how to show up on social because it was with a social media manager and I love the idea of I don't have to <laughs> like that, you know, like maybe make your bio launch copy, really good conversion rates or something like that. Um, but like that, it's like, I don't have to post on my stories and I like, you know, like we're following each other. I don't use Instagram like that. Really. If I'm excited about something, I won't post about it, but yeah. And I think a lot of us like, like, oh, find where your ideal clients are and then post there. And it's like, do my ideal clients, are they coming to Instagram to find a copywriter or are they coming to Instagram to find more people for their own programs anyway? Right. But also like having patience and saving money. <laughs> those seem like good ideas too. like just being able to stick with it um, and, and do what works. And then last, what I think is most important is that thing where you're like, I got found for something I don't want to do. So you have to stop talking about that thing that you don't want to do right um you gotta like pitch joe on a um a launch copy tuesday tutorial or something yeah i love teaching about brand voice love 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 it like i could talk about it for hours but the one-to-one projects nah not for me (laughs) but launch copy one-to-one projects hell yes Mm. teaching about launch copy hell yes so it and that was like a real moment for me where I was like, because oh, I was getting these leads in, I just wasn't excited about them. Mm. And they were willing to pay me really good money to do these projects. And I'm thinking, I do not want to do this. I would have subbed it out. 
Yeah, of course. You know, like, that's like, right. Like, oh, this is coming in. I don't want to do it. Oh, is there anyone who really wants to do this, but doesn't like finding clients, but, or, or worked or, or worked with, with a team or what have you. Um, so maybe like as a closing question, unless Shanti had something after this, which I would not be surprised because I just jumped in with the closing question is like, and this is personal and feel free to be like, come on, Don, but like, what is your goal with your business? Like, what, what do you want? Are you going to want to write launch copy for the next five, 10 years? Or, you know, you, you're new and you come into it, you kind of like get really great results and start really doing something with it. But then what, like what, what does really excite you? What excites me is not working. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> no, so okay. What really excites me is digital products. Like I just, I think it's because I work in the space and I sell them. And honestly, when I see that somebody has found my product and bought it, I get such a thrill knowing that it's helping somebody else and it's like continuing that learning on. So I really want to build up that side of the business. Um, I'm going to be launching a launch debrief digital product soon. Exciting. I don't have the details yet on the name that is coming. So yeah, I really want to build that side up. Um, I definitely want to keep on doing launch projects for now because they're just my passion. I love them. They light such a fire, like fire for me, but I definitely want to, maybe do one a month, for example, and just try and limit how many I do. I think I've just got to a point in my life where I would just rather make good money and not work so much. When I was a kid, my dad would work long ass hours and never be at home. And I don't want that for myself. I love the idea of just being a free woman and like reading and like pottering about and going for lunch. But obviously I'd still need to work because I need something to do because otherwise I would get bored. But um, yeah, that's really, and I don't know what my business will look like in three to five years, but I would love to see it as, you know, really, you know, kicking off with the digital products, but still having one-to-one clients like every now and again or once a month, for example. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's where I'd want to see it in a few years for sure. I think what scares me is the fact that working or having like a digital business, there is no limit to the amount of money that you can make. And that excites me, but terrifies me at the same time. Because I was actually thinking the other day, I think I was in the bath, I was on like weird thoughts to myself. I was thinking like, you know, I can make so much money for my clients, like a hundred grand, 500 grand in a week, whatever. I'm thinking if I could make that amount of money for myself, that is life changing. And I just couldn't comprehend like having that amount of money. But yeah, so I'm really excited because I think I've got all the knowledge, all the strategies. I know what I'm doing. So I'd love to do that more for myself and um, more for my own business as well. That is the ultimate trip when you realize like I'm doing this for other people why don't I do it for myself? And my answer to that has always been all sorts of mindset bullshit. That's just like layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of it. And it's so fascinating to peel, peel it all back and like, yeah, why not? Like you could absolutely run your own launches Convert at 13%. Like, yeah. So Byron Katie said it best with that quote that we're not, I'm going to butcher this. We're not afraid of the known. The known stuff. We're afraid of the unknown potential and goodness. And wow, I really, 
I really fucked that one up. So maybe we'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> um, okay, Nicola, where can we learn more? Where can we get on your email list? Where can we scoop up this awesome conversion rate calculator thing that you got? Tell us where to find you. Sure. So you can find my website on Instagram, ironically. I just don't post on there, but I usually post about things that excite me on like stories and stuff. Um, but my website's nicolamoles.com. You will find the launch fuel formula, nicolamoles.com forward slash launch hyphen fuel hyphen formula. I should probably get like an easier URL for that actually now that I think about it. But yeah, basically this launch fuel formula is basically my optimization spreadsheet. It has all of like the calculations in there to work out your lifetime value of your membership and conversion rate and loads of other good stuff and there's a google document version in there as well in case you hate spreadsheets amazing i just signed up for it super excited to crunch my own numbers and yeah really cool to meet you thank you for being here thanks so much for having me it's been so much fun yay thanks so much whoa look at you listening to the very end we are so deeply grateful for you and borderline obsessed with hearing what resonated most and how you're taking the seeds planted in these conversations and sowing them in your life and business. It would mean more than you know if you would share this episode with a friend or subscribe, rate, leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Your reviews tell the algos behind the apps that we are worth pressing play on. So please, if you're feeling generous, take two minutes to share the love. And if you are curious around what your unique advantage is in this wild and wacky online world, take the unfair advantage quiz at shandyzack.com forward slash UA quiz. And thank you again, sunshine. Go light up the world and we'll see you next time.